All right. Hello, Genesis Church and anybody else that might be watching or listening. Um, I'm here with Jeff Stott for our Conversations podcast. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about salvation with Dr. Jeffrey Bingham. Before that, we were talking about Scripture. And so today we are actually going to circle back to Scripture to answer a couple of important questions about something called canon. Now, don't get your eye patches out and board your ship yet. It's not that kind of canon. That was my joke for the day. You guys can laugh. That was that was the one I've been planning. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's <laughs> it's pretty rough, man. But you know, however, though, with that said, it would have been interesting if we could survey the audience. Yes, and ask them. Okay, when we say canon of scripture, what do you think we're talking about? How do you spell canon? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is canon with one n, C A N O N. I mean, it's got two n's. They're just not next to each other, but you know. Um, <laughs> So when we talk about canon, we are, we're talking about scripture and kind of what we accept as authoritative scripture. So um, real quick before we start, I'm going to put that in modern terms. So if you're a sci-fi nerd, and I kind of am, um, I could write a Star Wars fan fiction novel. However, that will not be accepted as part of the Star Wars universe. It's not official. But if Disney, who owns Star Wars, decides to publish my novel as a movie or an official book, that becomes part of the official Star Wars universe because Disney, who is allowed to set the Star Wars standard, published it, it becomes canon. So canon is kind of an official record of something. And that's kind of what we're talking about with scripture. And we'll give a better definition for that later, but just to, to put it in modern terms right now. But today, um, kind of the most important things we're talking about, what is canon? Who decides canon? How did they decide canon? What's not canon, and how is God involved in this whole process? So let's uh, let's talk canon. Well, you know, when we're talking about canon, you know, uh, we are addressing questions like, how did we get the Bible we got? Where did the sixty-six books in the Bible come from, and who said that it's sixty-six, not sixty-seven or sixty-five? How does that, where, where does that all come from, you know? And so now the, the word canon, let's talk, let's, all right, let's do some definitions here. Let's do some, get some terminology down there because I'm going to guess that the majority of, of the audience that's listening, you probably don't talk about the canon of scripture very often or canonicity or canon, canonization, you know? And so, uh, and these are three words that, in um are we doing just one episode or two or what i don't know no just whatever i didn't plan that yeah okay no. well ever how long these episodes last depending on for the for the canon um you're going to hear these these three words often known canon canonicity and canonization so canon what are we when we talk about the canon of scripture what are we talking about well the word canon refers to a measuring rod, a rule, or a standard, which Chris has sort of mentioned and kind of gives a little snapshot with the uh, Walt Disney illustration there and Star Wars illustration. So in ancient times, it referred to a reed, the word canon, referred to a reed that was used to measure things, much as we would use a ruler today. So in reference to the Bible, the canon refers to two things. The standard that a writing must meet before it is recognized by God's people as scripture and the collection of books that meet the standard. So when we're talking about the canon of scripture, we're talking about what God has determined as scripture and the church has uh, discerned 
to be uh, the inspired books. And so when, when we say the canon of scripture, Chris and I are referring to the 66 books that are officially called what we call the Bible that are inspired. Uh, now, canonicity. Now, here's another word. All right, canonicity. When we speak of canonicity of a writing, we are referring to the writing's right to be included in the canon of Scripture. So, how did it get in there? How it, how did how, you know how did First Peter and Second Peter, you know, what is the canonicity of that book? How did it happen? And so, and we'll get more into this as we go. And so, uh, and this may be foreign language to you. If you're hearing this for the first time, it can be confusing. Uh, and maybe and maybe a little overwhelming, and you're saying, so what? And we'll get into the so what, why is it important uh, even more so later. Okay, the third word is canonization. This, is, this refers to the process that tells us how the Bible received its acceptance as men recognize the authority of God's inspired writings. It is the process, that's key, canonization is the process by which God's inspired word was recognized by men of God and then collected and preserved by the people of God. So uh, those are the three words that you're going to hear from time to time, uh, canon, canonicity, and canonization. Now, um, before we go any further, I do want to say that um, a lot of what Chris and I are going to say, not everything, but a lot of what Chris and I are going to say, uh, you can find on my website at truthappliedjs.com, at least my notes, um, uh, some of the things I'll be, re like definitions and some illustrations and some other things, uh, some thoughts, <clears throat> um, you can, you'll be able to find uh, on the website, truthappliedjs.com. If you want to go back, look at it, and just you know skim through it but be honest with you you know if you need some if you want more information contact chris and i and we can get you to some good websites uh, that go into a lot more great greater detail than what we're about to do because to be honest with you there you can go out and buy a whole book or books on series this series series yeah just on this subject and chris and i what we're going to do we're going to give you the canon of scripture 101 okay this is an introduction we're not going to dive very deeply into the you know the canon of the new testament versus the canon of the old testament we're going to really give you we're going to mention that a little bit but we're we're going to give you general principles general guidelines the big picture of, of the canon of scripture so uh anything else under like terminology and definitions anything that we need to add there no, I don't think so. I think this is, um, I think you mentioned earlier with just me and you were talking, um, without recording it. I think we just mentioned that this is not something that most people spend a lot of time on most, right. something that most people think about. They open their Bible, there's 66 books there, but then at some point you're going to be confronted with the question of why isn't this in the Bible? Why isn't, you know, the Apocrypha in the Bible? Why isn't first or second Maccabees in the Bible? Things like that. Somebody's going to ask, and um, it's going to be good to know the answer for, for your spiritual growth and to, to be able to help that person. Well, yeah, and in, in the, in the bottom line is this. Uh, the same God who spoke his word inspired holy men to record every word exactly as he wanted it, okay, and then preserved his word through every attempt to destroy or deny, also oversaw the process right. 
by which the 66 books of the Bible were assembled into the complete and authoritative collection of scripture which we had. So now what you're about to hear may be a little overwhelming. You may scratch your head because you know we may not clarify something that you think needs to be clarified and you know create a lot of questions for you if this is the first time you've heard it. Uh, but however, here's the deal. I would say that everyone listening to this podcast uh, at some point has had a canon conversation or a canon question, but they didn't know they they didn't know they were talking about canon, and because uh, it's always out there and uh, it always comes up from time to time. Um, for example, um, whenever you question whether a something that has now been discovered by archaeology, something has been written by some prophet of some type. And they're saying this is a new word from God. And anytime you're, anytime you're thinking about or having a question or a discussion about uh, should we add something to the Bible, you've just stepped in to this, the conversation of, of the canon of Scripture uh, at some level. Um, you know, because I do know over time, for, okay, for example, from time to time, I'll, I'll get a question about, Okay, so is the Apocrypha, is that a part of the scripture? You know, well, according to the canon of scripture, no, it's not. Uh, well, what about the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price? You know, uh, nope, not, it's not scripture. Uh, what about if, all, what, are, what if the Pope says something? Is that, could be, should that be considered something a part of the, a part of the scripture? Nope. <laughs> Okay. It's the ex cathedra speaking that he's, and I think I'm going to go ahead and, and grab that ability for myself. Yeah. <laughs> All of my speech is now ex cathedra. It is yeah. <laughs> it's done. It's solid. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm not so, going to do that. <laughs> um, and, uh, it, and, and, and the reason why the canon of scripture is important is because this stuff comes up all the time throughout every generation there's always somebody saying we need to add something to the scripture, take something away. And when I say take something away, I, I may mean, they may say just a chapter, remove a chapter out of the Bible because of for whatever reason. And, uh, but they're now they're messing with the canon of scripture that God has given to us. And that's a big no, no. And so uh, we do not want to add to it or take, take it, take away from it. Um, Oh, let's see here. Uh, any other comments on the, the, why is this important, Chris? That uh... No, I mean, for me, the big importance is understanding that, like you said, we believe that God inspired men to write scripture, but for some reason, it doesn't translate in our minds a lot of times. We say, oh, yes, of course, God inspired people to write true scripture. But then as soon as we decide, well, a group of men decided the canon, all of a sudden that inspiration for some reason for us that we don't want it to transfer. And that that's part of the case is that God inspired the Bible and then God inspired the canonization of the Bible. And so it's a good point. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is that the reason why this is so important uh, to understand that the 66 books we have is exactly what God wanted us to have in the Bible. No more and no less. Okay, we didn't miss something, and there isn't something coming that needs to be added. It's right. done. 
That is the canon of scripture. And here's the reason why this is so important. Uh, and I'm just going to quote Moses here in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 47. He says this, these instructions are not empty words. They are your life. Okay, so that's important because if we're talking about the word of God and they are our life, then if we don't have it all, then we're missing something that's part of our life. You know, we're missing something that God wanted us to have. Well, we don't have it, but the canon of scripture takes care of that. And, um, um, and so we can trust what we have. And, and the devil's going, I want to tell you, the devil's going to do everything he can through any means he can to get you to doubt this book that we call the Bible. He's, he's been doing it since Adam and Eve. He's been twisting it ever since then, and he's just going to keep on hammering it. And if he can get you to doubt any book in the Bible, any paragraph in the Bible, uh, or if he can get you to believe that the Bible and something else is equal, you know what I'm saying? Then he can, man, he can mislead you in a lot of ways. And it's, that's why this is so important. This is a matter of life and death. And, uh, and also being able to experience victory in your life as a Christian when you understand 66 books, that's all we need. That's what God gave us. You know, hang your hat on it and ignore everything else. Now, with that said, uh, some of the material that we will refer to that's called extra biblical material, some of that stuff's good history. Okay. So, uh, but, but they're not scripture. And so uh, we just, you know, that's another conversation. Yeah. Road, but uh, um, first, first and second Maccabees, while not canon and not scripture, right, are are highly interesting reading. I mean, it's it's incredible for history. There's also some stories that are very, uh, I'll call them Solomon-like. Like you know, Solomon always had the big twist ending in his stuff, right. like cutting a baby in half. You know, stuff like. And, and Maccabees has some of the same, but it's simply not scripture. We're not to take it with the same authority that we give scripture. Yeah, there is no way I could possibly say, you know, well, you know, it, it you know, well, God says this and that, and then refer to right something outside of the 66 books in the Bible. Just That's just not going to ever happen uh, because the Bible is very clear that, 66 books is what we need and that extra biblical, extra biblical material. Now, oh, by the way, I had a friend in college. He loved that extra biblical stuff. I mean, he was like a historian kind of a guy and he loved reading that stuff. And he was, he was always telling me fascinated bringing up, he said, did you know this says this? And I said, no, I didn't know that. And of course I was uh, just trying to figure out the Bible, not all that extra, but I didn't have time for that extra biblical stuff because I didn't know the Bible still trying to figure out the Bible. So, Okay, so let's dive in a little bit further here. Let's go into uh, the canon of Scripture and um, where it all begins. Okay, first of all, it does not begin with man. Okay, it does not begin with humans. doesn't begin with some church leadership, some council out there. It all begins with God. God is the one who determined, that's important, that's a key word, determined. God is the one who determined the canon of scripture. He's the one that decided, determined which letters, writings, books would be included in, um, in what we call the Bible. He determined it. 
and then the church comes along later and they will discern it. But let me read to you a, a passage of scripture here. And um, uh, it's out of second Peter chapter one, verse 20. And it says this above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. Okay, it didn't start with man. This wasn't man's idea. No, the Bible goes on to say, no, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Okay, so um, the big picture here is that everything that we have in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, came from the from God, from the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, moving godly men to say whatever God wanted them to say. And, and eventually what they said was written down and then through a chain of events, it made it into the Bible and we have what we call, but the bottom line you need to understand is, is that God determined what was scripture, not man. That's important as we move into this next uh, thing on how the church discerned it. Uh, because really what happened, okay, so, man, there's a lot of detail. I'm skipping a lot of stuff in my head here, but go and research all this because what God determined was with scripture and then the church comes along and then they discern what God had already determined. Does that make sense? Okay. So it wasn't like the church comes along and they go, okay, let's sit around a room and let's just take a vote. Is this scripture or is that scripture? Do y'all think that ought to be? Do y'all think that ought to be? Uh, that's not really what happened, even though it might've happened something like that in the, in the room, but the scripture was already there. God was just going to guide the men to discern which one was already uh, inspired and which ones were not. Yeah, that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. The the scripture was there, and and yes, there were councils that determined some of that. And it's also important to realize that when we talk about you kept you said a few times the church discerned. Um, we are talking about um, what we would consider our. There's no good way to say this, but for example, there are different canons for different what we might say religions. So for example, um, Catholicism is going to hold a different canon than we do. Um, and those were determined at different points. So when we say the church, you know, discerned the canon, we're talking about our, our canon and that church, not Genesis church and not all of the churches in town have the same canon. Is that, does that make sense? Or am I? Yeah. Cause when you get into <laughs> Yeah, this is where the drama kicks in right. uh, behind the canon because, you know, okay, without getting into details, the, the, the canon was completely finalized, if you will, from a man, from human perspective around 300, 350, 400 AD, something like that. And so it was that process of time that eventually got us to that 66 books. And, uh, but the books were already inspired. The letters were already inspired. They were out there. They were floating around. People were treating them as scripture. And then over time, the church, the believers leadership at the time, um, they would have these meetings and they were identifying or recognizing through some questions and tests and evaluations of which ones were inspired 
which ones that God wanted. And God was a part of that process. He was already, you know, he was leading them through that. God is not going to let his word slip through the cracks. I mean, this is just not going to happen. Okay. So let me give you an illustration. Maybe let's, let's, let's uh, talk about how this works. And okay. So um, suppose you sell something during, during like say a Saturday garage sale for $100. Okay. On Monday, you go down to your bank and deposit the five crisp new $20 bills the buyer gave you on Saturday. But the bank teller informs you to your horror that her electronic scanner shows all of the bills to be counterfeit. That's bad. Well, look, you can go ahead and protest all you want, but it will not matter because you're still going to be out $100. The fact is that the standard for the authentic U.S. bills has already been determined and yours did not pass the standard. Now, transfer that example to the Bible. Let's consider Matthew for a moment, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, which was written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples. There was also a text floating around in the early church that claimed to be a gospel written by the apostle Thomas, who was just as authentic an apostle as Matthew. Now, and the gospel of Thomas was just one of dozens of so-called gospels and epistles in existence that claimed divine authority. Now, how did the early church know that the gospel of Matthew was part of God's authentic revelation while the gospel of Thomas was not? And how can we be sure today that we are not missing something God wanted us to know, but that God left, you know, out of the Bible? How, 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 how can we be sure of this? Well, the answer is that the church ran both books under the scanner of the Holy Spirit's sovereign guidance and direction, and the Gospel of Thomas didn't cut it, but the Gospel of Matthew did. And so when we're talking about the church discerning what was the inspired scripture, uh, they were using some biblical scanners, if you will, uh, some wisdom, biblical wisdom uh, to determine, not determine, to discern what uh, books and what letters and what writings God had already determined as scripture. Uh, So that's how that sort of works. Hopefully that helps a little bit. Yeah, you know, a little bit. Um, it's, uh, it's funny. You mentioned the gospel of Thomas, the infancy gospel of Thomas. This was actually referenced in my book, live like Jesus, little plug there. Um, and how did, by the way, before we go, so yeah. if they wanted to get your yes. book, how would they do that? Um, Amazon is usually the best place. I don't generally keep, uh, paper copies anymore. It's just so much easier to let other right. places handle it. But yeah, I mean, Amazon Barnes and Noble, I think has copies stuff. So like they just that. go to Amazon, Chris creates. Yes. Live like can, Jesus. Yeah. And I can link those for anybody watching stuff like that. Sometimes I put them on sale, which is cool, but, and sometimes Amazon just runs sales, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so in the chapter on self-control, I referenced the infancy gospel of Thomas. It is a pseudepigraphical uh, book. So it's about little Jesus. You know, we see gaps in the Bible where Jesus is born, then he's 12, then he's 30, you know, and, and we just have these gaps. And um, the early church and early Christians wanted to know more about it. So there was a demand to know more about his life, but there's no supply. Nobody wrote about that point of his life. Enter the grifters and they say, hey, I'm going to write about this because people want to buy it. And so like 
the infancy gospel, you're talking about how the church discerned it. Um, so let's look at the gospel of Thomas. They used two tests to remove that one. First, it was not written by what we'll talk about later, a, um, an authoritative author. Uh, second, it was not, um, it was not about Jesus as we know him. Um, it did not pass the smell test with comparing Jesus to himself. Uh, for example, in this fictional work, uh, at one point, kid Jesus kills two kids and curses another, and both the kids' parents become blind. This is not the Jesus that we read about later. And so when we're talking about discerning, we are talking about, you know, you talked about putting them under a scanner. They run tests on these Gospels um, to find okay, was this written by an, an authoritative author, somebody that knew Jesus? No, it obviously wasn't because Thomas would have been the only uh, apostle to have written about Jesus's childhood. And where was he during Jesus's childhood? And we find out, you know, he gets recruited. Well, where was he during <laughs> Jesus's childhood, man? Apparently he's wandering around following Jesus around as a grown adult or what? I don't know what's going on. So it's easy to see no, this should not be canon. So, right. Yeah. There you go. You know, when you get into like, um, admissions of say like the gospel of Thomas or some other writing, uh, okay. You know, whether it should be allowed into the university of the Bible, um, you know, okay. So, you know, all right, Chris, you went to college, right? Yes. <laughs> according so, to the diploma i did yeah according, or according to, to my resume i did i mean yeah <laughs> yeah well according yes. to uh, my diplomas that yes. don't hang on my wall but they are in a file cabinet over here you know yes. but uh yeah so when you go to when you when you go to a university you know you there's a there's an admissions process some are tighter than others depending on where you're going and um you know some universities they uh you know they definitely want you to have a high school diploma. You know, they, uh, they, uh, certain minimum score on a standard achievement or some kind of admissions test. Uh, they also want to see some evidence of financial ability to pay for the school. Um, the one school I went to required a medical exam. So I had to get a, I had to have a medical exam for that. Um, some universities actually also, uh, require personal, uh, references and or, recommendations you know from uh other authorities uh that are in your life and so anyway before the, and they go through the, all these admission standards before you can even be considered you know what i'm saying uh, seriously considered into the school well the early church they had these admissions admission standards when it came to the discerning what was scripture and what was not now uh, there were several of them, but I'm going to give you three. We're going to talk about three. Chris may want to throw in a few others here, but he's already mentioned one of them. Um, one of the things that they were looking for were like divine qualities. Now, um, you should have good reason to think books from God would contain within themselves evidence of their divine origin. You know, if God is genuinely the one who stands behind these books, then you can expect these books to share God's own qualities at some level. So after all, uh, we know that the created world is from God. And by seeing God's own attributes revealed within that, likewise, you could expect God's special revelation 
okay, which we talked about before, God's special revelation called the scripture, the written word, to do the same, to have some, to reveal some of God-like qualities uh, in them. And there should be, you know, some things dealing with beauty and excellency and power and unity and harmony from, you know, cover to cover and all that kind of stuff. And through these divine qualities, Christians recognize the voice of their Lord in the scripture. So really, I mean, there's a, behind the canon is a supernatural act going on because Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And so God was going to make sure that these men who were looking for divine qualities in these uh, books were, uh, they were going to hear God's voice, see God's power uh, within these books. And, uh, and in and whatever, ever how God revealed that to them, they did. They did see divine qualities. So that was one thing they were looking for. Is there divine qualities in this book? Is it supernatural? Is it spiritual? Is there some eternal truth here? Things that kind of reflect God's character. Another test or admission standard was uh, corporate reception. Uh, did the church body recognize, did the believers recognize this letter as something authoritative from God inspired? Did they recognize that? Um, um, and so as it was passed from church to church and from really in some cases, generation to generation, some of it didn't take that long because it was obvious to the early believers that, man, this is from God. This is through one of his apostles, you know, this is legit. And there was an immediate divine quality and supernatural impact from it. Uh, but there was also, again, corporate reception. It was recognized by the church. And then number three, a third qualities was just author, uh, authoritative authors who wrote it. You know, was an apostle or somebody closely related uh, or connected to Jesus in some way. And so there's a lot of detail underneath each one of these things I've mentioned. Uh, but those are some standards or that they were looking for when they were examining um, these letters and books to see if whether or not they were inspired and from God or not. All right, Chris, anything you want to comment about that one? Yeah, the um, the authoritative author authoritative authors one um, also included an authoritative timeline. So the later the book was written, it becomes less likely that it's authoritative. So if I write a book now, it's not going to be in the Bible because it's far too long. You know, if I write about the life of Jesus, it's not accepted as the Bible. Um, there are a couple of outliers on that, but not many. Um, the biggest one is Paul um, because he wrote after Jesus's death, but uh, obviously, we have other reasons for for putting him in because of the divine qualities and because of um, Paul's specific experience. So some of the things you'll see are timeline oriented. So when were they written that that keeps them out? So we talked a little bit about kind of what those canon pretenders that that you said were. We got a couple minutes left if you want to talk about kind of what the canon of Scripture protects us from and um, yeah. Okay. So we had, okay. Again, this goes back to the value or the importance and significance of knowing and understanding the canon of scripture, uh, because it will protect you from a world of heresy, false doctrine, false beliefs. And it, it'll just, one of the reasons why cults go off in some weird ways, 
uh, some weird paths is because they usually have scripture and then they have something they put equal or above it. And, um, and that can show up in a lot of different forms. And the Bible's real clear that we are to just nail down our heart and mind on the word of God. Now, what I want to do is I want to just kind of walk through some examples of pretenders, things that are trying to be canon, or in the hearts and minds of some people, they see them as equal to the scripture um, or above the scripture, and they have led to a lot of stuff. Some of these we've already mentioned. Um, for one, uh, you got the Apocrypha, and uh, you know this refers to the additional books that the Catholics include with the Old Testament. Uh, they include like uh, the Tabit, Judith, uh, Wisdom, Sirach, Bar Baruch, um, is first and second Maccabees, uh, plus sections of Esther and Daniel, actually. There's a, some yep. additional stuff there. Uh, but anyway, um, and that's not a part of the canon. And, and I know there will be those who will disagree with me on that, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but when it comes to the canon of Scripture and what the church actually accepts, um, the Apocrypha is not part of it, but there are some who see it as equal uh, to the scripture. And that can be dangerous because you kind of get some new things going out there. Okay. So I've already mentioned this as well. The book of Mormon. There are some folks out there who see the book of Mormon, the Pearl of great price and doctrines and covenants. Um, uh, the Mormons accept these as inspired and, and part of the Canon uh, Mormon Bibles often have these three actually bound in with the old and new testaments and so if you get a mormon bible you'll probably have that in there somewhere yeah, i actually and have so, one around here somewhere i think that yeah all, i had uh, yeah i had i had one when i worked at the prison uh we had variations of a lot of bibles and so yeah, uh we had we had the book of mormon there and it included uh everything i just mentioned and so uh uh let's see um you also have uh, something called science and health with a key to the scriptures. This is from the Christian science and is written by Mary Baker Eddy and they claim it is inspired. And so that usually not usually when you hear Christian science doing some weird right. stuff, it's usually coming out of that. But again, they place it right there with the right. scripture. So, uh, uh, let's see, I'm not going to mention all of these. Let's see. Um, um, then there's some things that we have to be careful that we don't place as canon, but we can view them sometimes unconsciously as equal to scripture. And, uh, that would be the Roman Catholic church. You know, they place tradition in that category, um, uh, as, and, and the infallible pronouncements of the Pope, you know, they will see what he says and tradition is equal with scripture. And, um, and that can lead into some false doctrine as well. Uh, if they're not careful. Um, okay. One that I personally run into quite often, uh, just because I'm a pastor and run into Christians, you know, and they believe Jesus, they're followers of Jesus, but they've added some things or they lean on some things that, when you talk to them, they will probably say, no, I don't see those inspired, but their actions and behavior and how they view it 
comes across as no, you think they're inspired. I mean, just you're, you know, you're, you're committed to that. And that would be uh, what I'm going to call Pentecostal prophecies. Um, these are sometimes um, accorded inspirational status. Uh, most would deny this, but um, it means, you know, I, I've known some believers who said I was at a conference, I was at church and this guy prophesied over me. And I mean, man, the, and they took it like it was the word of God, no matter what. And um, even if it had some inaccuracies to it, it's like, no, I don't think so. Uh, but people will put that in, in their heart and mind. They'll put it in the category of canon from God uh, as authoritative with scripture. Um, and another weird one that just, I'm just giving you some examples here of where, how canon works is a uh, mind Kampf. Uh, this was considered inspired by most hardcore Nazis, you know, and many in the current pseudo-Christian identity cult claim it is inspired by God as the Bible. So, um, you know, uh, and, you know, and as weird as it may be, there are some folks who see notes in certain Bibles. I mean, they will quote those notes in those study Bibles as if they're scripture. And I mean, they, they just don't, they, they, they're not understanding what the notes are about and how, and why that's the way it is. So, um, so again, when, there are a lot of times when we're talking about the canon of scripture and we just don't even know it. Uh, anything you want to add to this list, just kind of give some people examples of what are pretenders when it comes to the canon. No, I, I don't think so. Um, sometimes we hear a lot of the, um, God told me this and it's kind of a, a truth mixed with a lie. And that's where we start getting these pretenders. And you can see when you look at something like Mein Kampf, where, where this can lead, because I mean, the vast acceptance of the Nazi party in Germany was, was largely tied to people that would say they practice Christianity that put Mein Kampf on the same level as the Bible and, and allowed it to flower. And um, so you can see kind of, it protects us from heresy, but man, when we start accepting extra biblical things as biblical, you can see what a terrible road it can lead down. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not, do you remember what we're talking about next week? Hmm. It's more, more doctrine. It, yes, yeah, it'll be more doctrine. I think, yes. I think after canon, I, I think we had mentioned that we were going to talk about talk about inspiration of scripture what that means and you know, i yeah. think that's what we're doing yeah that makes sense and that'll be a really good one because we'll talk about kind of how god how we believe god wrote the bible um and talk about some different ideas on inspiration did god actually write it with a pen did god um influence people to write it or did god you know allow men to write it with no oversight and, and kind of where we land in that in that spectrum so um so yeah there you go yeah. So before we, are we, are we running out of time? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, You're before fine. we wrap it up, uh, I just want for those who've made it this far to the discussion, um, let me just reassure you that when you're holding the Bible in your hand, whether it's on your phone, looking on a computer, you know, paper copy, whatever, um, you can trust it. Uh, you have exactly what God wants you to have. And that's because of the nature of God, the father, he, wanted you to make sure he had that you had his word the way he wanted you to have it to saying what it wants his nature his his wisdom his um 
omniscience, his all power, all knowing, everything about him. He made sure that you have what you have. Also, you can trust it because Jesus trusted it. The testimony of God the Son, when you look at what Jesus actually says about the Bible, you know, he's he's convinced it's from God. And also the work of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit just gave us the word um, and guided the whole process, even the process of the canon. Um, so you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all involved in this. You have exactly uh, what he wants you to have. Even if you don't understand it, right. how it all came about, uh, you can sit there, read it, trust it, apply it, and know it's from God. So that's it, man. That's all I yeah, got. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, guys, uh, we appreciate you listening, and we will see you next week.